Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Weird. I am your host, Dan Lejoie, and sitting across from me in Cyberspaceville is... The incredibly handsome and dashing Riley Stewart. That's what it says in my yearbook. Well, hold on a second. Why do you get that title, and I just, I'm Dan Lejoie, and then you get that? Well, because I gave it to myself. So all I had to do was give myself a cool title. That's all you had to do. It was that easy. So you, you haven't earned that title, is what you're saying? I believe I have. I've interviewed some of the people from that same yearbook, and they said otherwise. I'm sure they would, actually. You know what someone did say about us, Riley? A listener, actually, commented on this past week that they love our voices. They think we have lovely voices. And the problem with our voices, though, is that uh, they sometimes put her to sleep. Yeah, you told me that. I did tell you this, right? And and uh, now, uh, full disclosure, this is uh, a someone I actually know uh, who listens. It's my neighbor. And she also said that she listens to this as she's going to bed. So I said that might be problem number one, that you're listening to this in bed. Well, that happens with me. Well, and I think, you know, in fairness to her, though, we are very monotonous. <laughs> you know, we're very low energy. We are. We're just NPR all the way. Okay. So, Riley, I have something very special for you and the listener tonight. The last time someone said they had something very special for me, I was sore for three days. <laughs> I hate that laugh I do. It's when I'm surprised by something, and then I do that like as if I smoke. <coughs> laugh. Anyway, you you inspired me a few weeks ago when you did your two, big two-parter. And we, for a long time, you and I have been shying away from bigger episodes, doing them alone, because we wanted to keep our episodes shorter. But then... You gave me the creative license to to do this. And and I should say, too, that research for this thing actually began like a long time ago. This is probably the most research I've put into any one story. Area 51 is maybe the one that came closest. It uh, A lot of work went into, into this podcast. Well, I know because I remember you talking about this particular subject months ago. Yeah. What was that? I want to look at the name of the book i love that you're typing because it sounds like it sounds like when i call my doctor to make an appointment and the receptionist is typing the whole time oh here it is yeah okay i a lot of my research was done uh, initially through the book oak island gold which is a fantastic read uh published in the 1990s so it's only going to tell you the story up till then but to be quite honest that's the most the, the everything you kind of need to know happened well before the 1990s Came. So what is the topic of your discussion tonight? The topic is, if you didn't guess it from the title of that book, is the mystery of Oak Island. Yahoo, which has been thrust into the spotlight because of Netflix, right? Well, Netflix and, and uh, Discovery or History Channel, there's that show that's been running for like seven years. The worst show ever. And we have brought this up on uh, different on different episodes. We've we've we both have gotten angry about it. I've watched it sparingly. I don't think I've ever watched a full episode. And it's always the same thing. They think they have found something. They think they have finally f- and but nothing ever happens ever. <laughs> I know. It's like those ghost shows that we're always making fun of. Well, at least in the ghost shows, they claim that there's the ghost, like they're feeling the ghost. In the Oak Island thing, it's just like, oh man, we think we found this map from this year yeah. that shows this, and they go, and then it's, oh no. Yeah, and or it's people complaining and arguing. It's, I mean, it's become a story of legal battles now, right? Yeah. Okay, so Oak Island. Let's start with where is Oak Island? Yeah, where is it? Okay, so Oak Island is a 140-acre island in Lunenburg County on the south shore of Nova Scotia, Canada. You you grew up in that, like somewhere near there, did you not? Not at all. I grew up in Concord, Massachusetts. Well, I thought you spent some time in Nova Scotia. I My family's from there. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Lunenburg is uh, a place that I had planned to retire. It is one of the most gorgeous locations in Canada. Mm-hmm. It's a fairy tale town. I didn't know that. And it's where the Blue Nose resides. I did know that. One of the most famous ships in uh, in Canada. Yeah, broke r- uh, sea racing records. Yes. Yeah. Very and uh, well, last time I was there, the Picton Castle 
was moored there. And the Picton Castle is a famous uh, ship where you can go away for a year and work on a tall ship and kind of find yourself. Yeah. You know, and they did a, a whole bunch of series on TV about the Picton Castle. It's a tall ship and it's like you just go away like for a year. Like in the movie and- White Squall. Um, so Oak Island is a small peanut-shaped island hidden from the sea by other islands. The tree-covered island is one of about 360 small islands in Mahone Bay. The island is located 660 feet from shore and connected to the mainland by a causeway and a gate. The ocean has an effect on Oak Island in terms of visibility, as the southern coasts of Nova Scotia can be hidden in fog for as many as 90 days a year. These coasts are, yeah, I didn't know that. These coasts are also vulnerable to powerful storms, which include nor'easters and hurricanes. I got caught in a nor'easter once, by the way, Mm -hmm. uh, driving from Halifax, which is near where this part of the world, trying to drive back to Ottawa, and it was in January. And my God, I've never experienced a snowstorm like that, like feet of snow falling in a matter of hours and blinding winds. Crazy. It reminds me of when I got caught in my first whiteout. I had never been in a whiteout before, and I got caught in one just leaving the city. And it was incredible. I thought I had been in one before, but I hadn't until I experienced one. By the way, I want to tell you something. Mahone Bay, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I go there almost every year. Oh. And Mahone Bay has a charming little thing. There are three churches in Mahone Bay that are almost all side by side, and they're called the Three Sisters. And I think they're like Anglican, Catholic, whatever. Sure. But they're called the Three Sisters. And if you look across the bay, they're lit up at night, these three oh, very, uh, yeah. churches next to each other. And they're referred to by everyone around there as the Three Sisters, the Three Churches. And they all get along. Or, or are they bicker like sisters? No, they're, they're not. You know, they get along. They're not like the King Lear sisters. So the island is now mostly covered with scrub pine and spruce trees. Not very pretty, you know. Uh, the island was once covered in mighty oaks, and hence the the name for the island. There's also a swamp on the island, and um, that's most likely been uh, man-made due to a lot of the work that's been done on the island. And I'll say man-made because it's been mostly dumb men that have been doing it. Of course. I think women would be smart enough to go about this in a different way. All right, so what's the the history of the island? The first major indigenous people in Nova Scotia were the Mi'kmaq, who formed a nation in present-day Canada several thousand years ago. While it is unknown when Oak Island was first discovered, the tribe has had a presence in the overall area. The earliest confirmed European residents date back to the 1750s. Oh, wow. Yeah, in the form of French fishermen who had by this time built a few houses on the future site of the nearby village of Chester, Nova Scotia. I wonder if that's where the, the churches are. No, at Mahone Bay is where the churches are. Oh, they're actually in the little, okay. In the village of Mahone Bay. I've been to Chester, mm-hmm. and Chester is where people with money oh. from the from that region and other regions go. It's a very expensive, affluent community. Like, you know, like the ladies with the the sweaters over their shoulders tied in a knot those kind of people and do they you know. do they wear loafers with pennies inserted in the no but they're you know the kind of people i'm talking polo about sh- shirts with the collar flipped yeah those kind of people yeah they go exactly. to ski hills and there's ski competitions and yeah and they all have you know cottages and cars and they leave the cars there the guy's name is lance okay get a grip get a grip come on get a grip and keep a grip mm-hmm. hey aerosmith 1989 Okay, don't be diverted. You know what the doctor said. You're doing it to me. Okay. La Havre, which is 15 miles south of Oak Island at the entrance of Mahone Bay, was a depot for pirates in the early 1700s. This whole area was, in fact, a pirate haven. And partly because of those islands that I mentioned earlier. There were a lot of places to hide mm-hmm. where you wouldn't be readily visible uh, on the high seas. You know, Le Havre has one of the most famous bakeries in Nova Scotia. Oh, God. My God. Every, I feel like every point I'm going to, you're going to tell me, oh, you mentioned that tree. Well, did you know that that tree gives the best syrup on that side of uh, Halifax? Oh, you're mentioning the windmill? (laughs) Funny story. When I was eight, I actually climbed on top of the windmill and jumped off and sprouted wings. Well, now. (laughs) Were you like the valedictorian at asshole school? (laughs) 
God. <laughs> the valedictorian at Aspen School. That's great. No, but it is honestly the Lahav Bakery is like super famous. Well, and maybe some people that listen to the show will actually uh, visit. I mean, a lot of people do. It's you beautiful. Can go on tours there, yeah. But just don't go any farther along the coast than Lunenburg. Trust me. Following the expulsion of the Acadians during the Seven Years' War, the British government of Nova Scotia enacted a series of measures to encourage settlement of the area by the European-descended New Englanders. Now, are you familiar with the Acadians? I'm assuming our listeners may not be. They were uh, early settlers uh, to Canada, or what is now Canada. They were French, and they inhabited that area. So Nova Scotia, Cape Breton, Prince Edward Island. I'm half Acadian. Me too. Yeah, Hebert. La Joie. La Joie is an Acadian. Yeah, Acadian, yeah. And I, I, I think I've mentioned this before. I think we I have brought it up. I yeah. didn't like my grandmother's food, the Acadian We did. Cooking. That's right. You did, yeah. Tortien. Molasses on bread. That's that right. was her thing. Yeah. All right. So land was made available to settlers in 1759 through something called the Shoreham Grant. And the town of Chester was officially founded the same year. The first major group of settlers arrived in the Chester area from Massachusetts, that I feel like should be harder to say. Massachusetts. Yeah, I love saying it. Massachusetts. It's where I'm from, and I think my one of my favorite states. Oh, it's beautiful. It's very Canada. It's Canada. Yeah, we're pretty much like people from that part of the world are pretty Canadian. A little bit more conservative, I think. A little bit more restrained, but very Canadian. Yeah, it's well, a very heavily uh, like Irish population too, right? So it, mm-hmm. there's a, a link, obviously, in beliefs and and culture. So, yeah, so the first uh, group of settlers arrived in the Chester area from Massachusetts in 1761, and Oak Island was officially surveyed and divided into 32 four-acre lots in the following year. In the early days, no one was living there, though. It was was broken up into these lots, but left abandoned. Okay. In the early days of British settlement, the island was known locally as Smith's Island after an early settler of the area named Edward Smith. Shortly thereafter, the locally used name Oak Island was officially adopted for the island. The island was long held to be a literal haunt for pirates. There's an interesting story about it, too, that for as long as people were in that area, they believed that there was a ghost, a pirate ghost, that haunted the island. And the story goes that they had buried treasure, Mm -hmm. and uh, once it was done, the captain said, uh, who wants to stay behind to guard the treasure? And he sort of watched... The group and whoever spoke the loudest, he pointed to that person. Good, you've got the job. And you know that person, his thinking would be that this person's the greedy one, the one that wants to stay behind, steal the treasure, and go. So that night they had a big bonfire, got wicked drunk, and the captain went up to that guy while everyone had once everyone had passed out, walloped him on the head, threw him into the pit, and then buried him alive. So he guards the treasure but as a ghost. Oh, I thought that was coming. Mm-hmm. And this was widely, like, this was just an accepted story that there was a ghost guarding a treasure on that island. What treasure it was or whose it was, they didn't quite know, but this was an island you didn't want to go to. I have to say, as ruthless as that was, it's pretty wise as well, like what he did. Well, we all know that ghost security systems are one of the best security systems. Microsoft used them. They did. Yeah, they would kill a pirate, an internet pirate, and embed him in the walls of one of their buildings, and he would guard their whole uh, mainframe computers. Oh, dear. Another weird story is the sighting of a large dog with fiery red eyes that has been seen by inhabitants and visitors to the island for hundreds of years. To this day, people claim to have seen this dog roaming the island at night. Mm -hmm. Have you heard this? No, I'm just listening. I like it. The belief that the island was haunted made it hard in the early years to recruit people to even to to work on it, let alone live on it. And the other strange thing about this island is the description of lights, these very bright lights being shone down almost like a spotlight on a very specific part of the island. And that has been recorded again for hundreds of years. I was reading one account that's Uh, I think like 20 years old, or sorry, no, it was from the 1980s. feels like 20 years because that's my era. Uh, But a mom, a woman with her two children at night looking across the bay and seeing this bright light shining down to the point where she thought maybe a plane 
was coming down, like about to crash onto the island. It, she said it was very unnerving, lasted like a minute, and then vanished. People who claim to have seen the lights say that sometimes what they see within it, if, they're, if you're close enough, is you see what looks like pirates or people burying treasure. So some people have speculated that what you're seeing is a spectral vision of something that happened in the past, or you're almost seeing like a parallel, not parallel universe, but a sort of a window into the past of something that occurred there long ago. Like a temporal pimple. A temp. I love that. That's got a bit of a Skinwalker Ranch vibe to it. That's exactly what made that. I I thought the exact same thing. Yeah. Exact same thing. Cool. For hundreds of years, there have been superstitious beliefs that even witches frequented frequented the island, and that it was just a generally nasty place. Oak Island has been intermittently owned by treasure hunters ever since. And really, that, those are the main people that have lived there since people actually started to live on the island. It's people who wanted to find the gold. So what are the origins of the mystery, Riley? In the 1600s, an old man on his deathbed allegedly told a story that he was a crewman with Captain Kidd, notorious oh, pirate. Yeah. So he was a crewman with Captain Kidd, and he said that he assisted with the burying of a massive amount of treasure on an island east of Boston. The legend was widely spread, and settlers brought the broadly publicized tale to Nova Scotia. For a century following the alleged confession, numerous searches were made, but the treasure was never found. In the spring of 1795, a young man, Daniel McGinnis, stumbled upon what he thought was for sure the hiding place of Captain Kidd's treasure on what is now known as Oak Island. Many years before this discovery, people in the area would sometimes see strange lights glowing on the island, as I mentioned before, at night. Fishermen ventured as close as they dared and observed what appeared to be pirates silhouetted against huge bonfires. Mm. Now, I should say, too, that they didn't think it was necessarily ghosts that they were seeing, but mm -hmm. pirates, like doing pirate things on the island. Wow. Two men went closer uh, on one occasion to investigate, but never returned and were not heard of or seen again. McGinnis was exploring the southeast corner of Oak Island that appeared to have been worked on many years earlier. A portion of forest had been cut away in which a clearing had been made and oak stumps stood amongst a new growth of forest. A large forked limb extended from one of the stumps and attached to that was an old tackle block. So think like a, a pulley system you would find in a theater, right? To hoist lights up and stuff like that. Yeah. I know what a tackle yeah. block looks like. Yeah. The ground below the tackle block had been settled into a saucer shape about 13 feet in diameter. Having undoubtedly heard the stories of pirates and treasure, McGinnis immediately suspected that treasure was buried there. He confided with two of his closest friends, John Smith, who's 19, and Anthony Vaughn, who was only 16, and the next day, they went back to explore. And I should note, too, that we don't know how old Daniel McGinnis was, but it's assumed he was probably around the same age as those two guys. Sounds like a young adult, yeah. You have some time on your hands when you're young, right? Yeah. So, searching the area, they discovered the remains of a road running from the tree with the block to the western end of the island, which gave them hope that they had discovered treasure. They went home and retrieved tools, axes, picks, and shovels, and began work on removing the new trees and excavating the soil in the clearing. Two feet down, they uncovered a layer of carefully laid flagstones. The stones were of a type not found on the island. That type of stone could be found on the mainland, in particular from Gold River, which was about two miles away. Once they had removed the flagstones, they discovered what looked like an old shaft that had been refilled. Although the sides of the shaft were of a tough, hard clay, the material being removed was loose and easily shoveled without the use of picks. They also noticed pick marks on the sides of the shaft and the clay signifying that people had been there before. What is strange about this immediately is that pirates were notoriously lazy, and it was common knowledge that they often buried their treasure only a few feet underground for easy retrieval, which makes sense. Absolutely. They're not like a big government organization that can 
have, you know, thousands of people or hundreds of people even working on something. Yeah. Like the army corps of engineers that they always get to do everything. Mm -hmm. You know what I was just thinking in my head while you're telling me that, but I love this story is that I can just imagine me being there and being one of those kids, how fucking excited you would be. Oh my God. You would be so excited. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm excited. Tell me more. What happens? This, This part of the story reminds me a bit of stand by me. Like it's a quest, right? It's, a, yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah, a, yeah. you're on a quest to find something mystic and magical. It's you and your 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 buddies, your closest friends, and you are on the tip of finding something incredible. So, at about a depth of ten feet, one of the men hit wood, and they were elated. They thought they had found, you know, a, a treasure chest, a cask. But what they had actually discovered was a platform of wooden logs embedded into the sides of the shaft. So it was a complete platform. The whole opening of the shaft was covered by these and and, uh, the logs were embedded into the sides. Dan, can I ask you a quick question? Just because I'm this kind of person and you did it to me, so I'm doing it to you. I know I'm probably jumping ahead, but just tell me yes or no. Is this still there? Uh, That's tough to answer. Uh, I will say this, and now you're not really jumping ahead. I I will touch upon it. There's been so much work done, you know, in the last, I think it was the 1960s, I was say the last 50, last 70 years, there was one group that really dismantled the island and made a wreck of things. Okay, okay, continue. I want to hear more. Go, go, go. Leave me alone. Don't push me like that. Shut up, you friggin'. Oh. <laughs> God, you're so, you're so fragile. <laughs> no, it hurts. Okay, so they find these logs in the shaft. Again, they thought the treasure would be underneath this, but they had no such luck. Finally, at a depth of 25 feet, the work became too heavy, and they were forced to abandon the dig. And think about that. 25 feet is is deep, and they're using hand tools. That's, that's far. Mm. The men were disappointed, but also realized that if someone had gone to all this trouble to bury something it must that deep, it must have been worth a lot. They decided to prepare for future work, and after marking their progress in the pit with sticks that they inserted into the sides of the shaft, and then disguising their worksite with, you know, loose brush and stuff like that, so that people couldn't see it from up above, they left. On June 26, 1795, John Smith purchased lot number 18, which contained was to become known as the Money Pit, as well as other lots that essentially gave him title of the entire eastern portion of the island. It should be noted too that this was, it seemed to be a cordial thing because the other guys were still involved and they actually bought lots on the other parts of the island. So they were still in on this together. Right, okay. It was almost a decade before work continued. Some suggest this may have been because they were unable to acquire help and that they themselves were busy. They were young men and just starting families and things like that. So to give this project the attention it deserved required time. Decade? A decade. Almost a decade. That's ridiculous. Well, they were, but they weren't dormant. They weren't dormant. I'll explain. Okay. Jeez, I would not be able to sleep. They ended up moving to the island. They bought that land and they built homes for themselves on the island. And that allowed them to keep an eye on the money pit. It wasn't until 1802, so seven years later, that they found a financial backer for the project through a man named Simeon Linz, uh, who was actually related to Anthony Vaughn. Through Linz, they hired Colonel Robert Archibald, who was a surveyor and a highly respected official as director of their operations for the newly created Onslow Company, which would attract investors to hire men and equipment to finish the job. Work recommenced in the summer of 1803. It wasn't as easy as they had hoped. The pit they had created had caved in and all that debris had to be cleared. They did discover the sticks they had left behind, proving to them that no one had tampered with the site. Ten feet down, they discovered yet another log platform. So this is ten feet below, like they're at around 40 feet, I think, at this point. Mm-hmm. And after another ten feet, they came upon a layer of charcoal. Ten feet lower, a layer of putty. And much further down, approximately 80 or 90 feet, an enigmatic object. It was a flagstone measuring about 24 inches by 16 inches, that bore mysterious letters and figures facing downward. No one could decipher it, so it was cast aside. Oh my God! They kept it. Okay. Oh. But not. they didn't know what to do with it. They, they knew that it was important. That just about killed me. Don't get too comfortable. 
So more strange discoveries were made. At 60 feet, manila grass and coconut rinds were discovered. There's no manila grass or coconut rinds anywhere near Oak Island. Yeah, seriously. So very strange. When they hit 90 feet, they encountered water. And this ended up becoming sort of the arch nemesis of all future explorers. The pit bottom became soggy and water began oozing from the clay. At 98 feet, with more and more water coming in, they decided to stop for the night. Before leaving the pit, they jabbed a crowbar into the ground to see if there was anything below, a standard practice they would do every evening. And they hit something hard and impenetrable below and realized it was bounded by the sides of the pit. So this thing took up the whole area of the pit that they had dug. Oh, wow. The searchers suspected they had finally found the treasure. But when they returned the next morning, they were shocked to find that the water had filled their tunnel with about 60 feet of water. Oh, God. They tried bailing out the water with buckets running day and night, but finally had to quit when the water refused to drop at all. At this point, work was temporarily halted. A failed attempt was made that fall to pump the water out. The following spring, they tried again, but with a different approach. They dug a parallel shaft, 110 feet deep, and about 14 feet south, uh, east of the money pit. And the plan was to tunnel in under the bottom of the pit and remove the treasure from below. Good engineering. Yeah. They encountered no water at any point while digging that 110-foot tunnel. But when the diggers got within two feet, so imagine they've tunneled 110 feet, then they start going horizontal to try and get underneath the the money pit, right? Okay. So when they got within two feet of the old pit, water began to enter their tunnel and it started to collapse with the workers barely escaping with their lives. Within two hours, the new tunnel was filled with water to the exact same level as the money pit. With funds dwindling and no new ideas, the project was abandoned. How had the creators of the money pit contended with that water? Perhaps it was booby-trapped, but if so, how? Some people have suggested that the strange stone with the mysterious marks and figures may have been coded instructions on how to deal with it. Why, though, had that stone been buried so deep? Where's the stone, Dan? Where is it? I'll get to that. Oh, God, that's killing me. McGinnis and company wondered if they could have decided if they could have deciphered the stone, perhaps they could have avoided the water altogether. Smith ended up using the stone to help construct a fireplace in his new home, perhaps for safekeeping or as a conversation piece. But at least it was visible. Yeah, it's on the island, right? In in that in that home. In 1865, though, the stone was removed and moved to Halifax and was displayed in the window of a bookbinder shop in the hopes of attracting new investors. It remained there until the business was closed, and at some point between 1919 and 1933, it sadly went missing. Oh, for fuck's sake. There's people that had been interviewed. You know, there was one person who was a little boy. His dad owned that shop, and he said, I remember it. I remember it completely. And when that stone, sorry, when that business closed, someone took it, and it maybe got thrown out, maybe got stolen, but it's gone. Oh, God. I'm just thinking of where it could be just lying in someone's garden or... Mm-hmm. Oh. A presumed copy of the markings found on the stone was made and recorded in Edward Rowe's 1962 book, True Tales of Buried Treasure. The author claims that he had the stone deciphered and that it read, 40 feet below, 2 million pounds are buried. But many question why that would even be needed and suggested that this is utter hogwash in fact today that copy is considered a hoax and not to be believed so can i ask you a question dan just because i come from new england and one of the most common things in the particular community i grew up in was people coming and doing what's called the tombstone rubbing yeah yeah, yeah. it's where you take a piece of rice paper and you could take charcoal or whatever it's now forbidden because it's considered dangerous but did no one ever do a rubbing of the stone the hope is that someone did and that at at some point in the future that will surface oh god you know maybe someone did it and then folded it up and put it in a bible and it's lost in an attic somewhere so there must have been in addition to people looking for oak island treasure there must also be a huge community of people who are trying to track that fucking stone down correct okay cool 
Yeah, in fact, like that's exactly one of the things that people are searching for still is that stone. What's because it called? Is, did they name it something like that? Is it, it's called the inscribed stone. That's it. So no special name. Oak Island inscribed stone. Yeah. Um, oh, I want to see it so badly. So, oh, while that inscription that supposedly existed uh, is a hoax, the one that was in Edward Rose book, the, we do know for sure that the inscription did exist. Many people saw it. And that may be one of the keys to solving this mystery. So if we can ever find that, that might, and you know, you put some great code breakers on it. Yeah. You might be able to uncover what was there or how it could have, it could be accessed, but we will never know unless a true copy of the stones engraving is found. Right. Yeah. Okay. So since the initial excavation, countless other attempts have been made to unearth the secrets of Oak Island. McGinnis and company filled in their original work, and it wasn't until 45 years later that another attempt was made. The Truro Company next tried in 1849. Their first order of business was to excavate the pit, and within two weeks they had reached a depth of 86 feet. But, to their dismay, the tunnel filled back up with water. Their next idea was to use a bore drill to see what they could find, and I think this is really smart, and this was a a neat thing that they that they did. So they use something called a pod auger. They can drill a hole and bring up core samples. You see that being yes. used in places like the Arctic and Antarctic, right? And they, Absolutely, right? yeah. Or when they're mining and they're looking for uh, minerals, they would use something similar to this. This would allow them to see what, if anything, was down there. And the auger brought up a series of wood, oak, and they not uh, like oak trees, but treated oak, uh-huh. and metal. It appeared that they had hit two oaken casts filled with some sort of metal objects. The only possible treasure was what looked like metal links of an ancient watch chain. That far down. Yeah. There is reason to believe that they may have concealed something more substantial. Apparently, the mining engineer, James Pitt Blatto, and such a, that sounds like a, Mark Twain name. James Pitt Blatto? Is it three words? Huckleberry Finn was stabbed by James Pitt Blatto on the Mississippi. Blatto. I don't like that yeah. name. Pitt Blatto. So apparently the mining engineer, James Pitt Blatto, may have concealed some of what came up. According to one of the investors, he observed Pitt Blatto hide something and when confronted, refused to show what it was, saying instead that he would have to wait till the next board of directors meeting of which he never showed up for. In fact, he left the island immediately and formed his own excavation company and tried to obtain a license to dig on Oak Island, but was rebuffed by the government. Oh, he's so sleazy. What a jackass, eh? Yeah, that's just sleazy. All right. Sometime in 1850, someone in the party noticed, this is really important, that the water in the shafts was salt and that it rose and fell with the tides. So what does that tell you, Riley? That tells me there's an underground, some kind of underground channel or tunnel that is connecting that with the sea. You are really smart. I want you to know that, okay? You look in the mirror tonight and say, I am smart. I am smart. I don't care what everyone at work says. I am smart. You say that to yourself. I don't care what everyone at work says. I love the backhanded comment. Oh, God. (laughs) I'm so frustrated that they lost the stone. You have no idea. I'm so angry right now. God. Gets worse. Oh, my God. The question then rose, why was the money pit the only tunnel to fill with water? Remember? So they they dug the, uh, no problem. Yeah, they dug one next to it and then went horizontal. Only until they got close to it. Then it filled with water. So they wanted to find out where the water was coming from so they could potentially dam it up. They discovered that a small stream of water flowed out of Smith Cove at low tide. So this is on the south part of the island. They decided to investigate. What they discovered was that the beach was artificial and that something called box drains had been built into the beach, spreading out like a fan into the ocean. Um, I'm going to post pictures of a lot of the things that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. It, it, so, Because it, it's kind of hard sometimes to describe these things, I think, and have people actually picture them. Like even when I'm reading about them, I had to look at diagrams and go, oh, okay, that makes sense. I do the same thing. 
yeah, I'll, I'll post if you want to see what, like, I'm going to post a ton of pictures for this one because I have access to them and uh, you'll be able to see what I'm talking about. All right. So it turns out the pit designers had created a drain system as you so smartly suggested, Riley, spread over a 145 length of beach, which resembled the fingers of a hand. Each finger was a channel dug into the clay under the beach and lined by rocks. The channels were then filled with beach rocks, covered with several inches of eel grass, and then covered by several more inches of coconut fiber. This was ingenious what they did. The effect of this filtering system was essentially what it was, was that the channels remained clear of silt and sand while water was still allowed to flow along them. So it could never, it could never uh, be filled up and blocked right. by natural flow of sand. The fingers met at a point inland where they fed seawater into a sloping channel, which eventually joined the money pit some 500 feet away. Just let this sink in. This was built at some point where there was no mechanized tools. And like 80 feet down. Further, right? At this point, they know it's like 90-ish feet, 100 feet. But this thing's 500 feet away, and they're building underground water tunnels. With coconut fiber. Right. It's incredible. So in order to prevent the water from getting in the pit, all they had to do was reverse engineer it, turn it off. Yeah, like my phone that keeps going off. I need to reverse engineer that to turn it off. To the Truro company, the answer was now simple. Just block off the water flow from the beach and dig out the treasure, right? Uh huh. Their first attempt was to build a dam just off the beach at Smith's Cove, drain the water, and then dismantle the drain channels. Unfortunately, a storm blew up and destroyed the dam before they could finish. An interesting note, the remains of an older dam were found when building the new one. How old, they didn't know, and there was no carbon dating, obviously, back then. The next plan was to dig a pit 100 feet or so inland in the hopes of meeting with the water channel underground, at which point they could plug the channel. This scheme also failed, and this was the last attempt by the Truro Company to uncover the secrets of Oak Island. The next major excavation attempt was carried out in 1861 by a company called the Oak Island Association. The original pit was re-excavated to a depth of 88 feet, and two more shafts were dug. The first one missed its intended target of an alleged flood tunnel, while the other intersected the original shaft via a branched-off tunnel at around 105 feet deep. Both of these shafts were filled with water when an alleged flood tunnel was again breached. At one point, one of the platforms placed in the original shaft at 98 feet collapsed and dropped to a lower level. The effect caused the next two platforms to drop as well, with the treasure now resting some 119 feet below ground. And this was also the first of six accidental deaths during excavations occurred during the fall of 1861, when a pump engine boiler burst and the worker was scalded to death. Oh, that. oh, yeah. God. So another shaft was dug in the spring of 1862, which was 107 feet deep. This new shaft was parallel to and connected with the money pit as it was used to pump water out of the original shaft to a depth of 103 feet. The Oak Island Association also did some work at Smith's Cove by drilling a few shafts in an attempt to shut off and seal the alleged flood tunnels. All of these attempts were failures in the end, due to the tide which eventually broke through barriers that were put in place. One final attempt was made in 1864 to intersect the money pit, resulting in alleged flood tunnels again being breached. By this time, salt water was undermining the walls of the original shaft, which some workers refused to enter. The original shaft was inspected by mining engineers who declared it unsafe, and the company abandoned their efforts when their money ran out. Oh dear. Okay. You know, I got to keep reminding myself, this is all pre-1900. This is all pre-1900, yeah. In 1866, a group known as the Oak Island El Dorado Company, and they get the win for the best-named company, I think. It's perfect. Was formed to find the treasure. By this time, there were many shafts, boreholes, and tunnels, as I just mentioned, right? Like, I'm reading that, and I've seen pictures of what they're talking about. That's one of those ones that'll be easier to understand. I think if anything, it paints a picture. There's a lot of tunnels now. I was just going to say, that must look like Swiss cheese, that area. Exactly, exactly the word I was trying to think of, yes. So, 
When a plan to shut down off the alleged flood tunnels from Smith Cove didn't work, the company decided to shift focus to the original main shaft. Exploratory holes that were drilled turned up bits of wood, more coconut fiber, soft clay, and blue mud. Having found nothing of interest, the group gave up the search in 1867. In 1896, and by the way, I'm, I'm kind of skip, I'm doing the highlights. There's been stuff going on there like forever, right? right? Yeah, no, I get it. In 1896, a new group arrived on the island with steam pumps and boring equipment. And this is when the second accidental death occurred. I thought you said steampunks. And I'm like, that was a thing. That was a thing even back then. People in top hats with gears on them. Ska music was born on Oak Island. That has nothing to do with steampunk. It does in my world. Okay, continue. What kind of music do they like? Te- like techno punk? It has nothing to do with music. Well, I know, but I think of steam. Oh, steampunk is like, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. It's like Jules Verne looking. Yeah. <laughs> you see them at um, Comic Con. Yes, you do. It's yeah, actually cool. That's kind of cool. It stuff. is kind yeah, of cool. cool stuff. Uh, what was that terrible movie with Will Smith? Wild Wild West. Yeah, it was a remake of a famous TV series. Yeah. Oh, was that right? It was a TV series, Wild Wild West. Was the TV series like a, like steampunkish as well? Not at all. Okay. No. Remember Kenneth Branagh was in that? He was. And he's such a great actor. And I'm like, Kenneth, my God. And Kevin Klein. What? Oh, yes. He played the sidekick. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah, that was a... He was a good actor. He was good in I his t- I didn't hate that movie. No, I didn't hate it. I was a kid. I liked it. I didn't love it. It was cool looking. Mm-hmm. I remember there was just a ridiculous giant robot or something at the end. A big spider robot. That's what it was. I honestly would rather sit through that than a Tom Cruise Mission Impossible movie. Yeah, I agree with you. Seriously. What about Big Trouble in Little China? Would you sit through Let's that? Let's not bring that ghost back. You're right. Oh my God. We've exercised that from the podcast. All right. So the second, and I like that you interjected right as I'm telling you a sad story. Sorry. So the second accidental death occurred on March 26, 1897, when a worker named Maynard Kaiser fell to his death. And what happened was they were they had these casks that they were bailing, uh, helping to bail the water out, and it, it fell in. He went in to get it, got to the bottom, but then decided, I guess, to make his life easier, ride up with it as they were hoisting it up, and he fell off and died. Oh. So as a result of this, most of the workers walked off the job. They didn't feel safe. They didn't feel that their safety was at all of import to the the people behind the project. They were, however, able to go deeper than anyone had before, reaching a level of 111 feet when they found a side tunnel. Exploring, they discovered that this was one of the tunnels made in 1867 to connect to the money pit, but then realized, get this, so they've done all this work, they realized they had been excavating the wrong tunnel. Oh, no. So they got to 111 feet, super excited because they, look how deep we've gotten. You know, everyone else hits water at 90 feet. We're golden. And then, oh, my God, we found this side tunnel. And they realize they were just excavating one of the secondary tunnels. Oh. So once they burrowed to the actual money pit, right through that, that tunnel they found, that horizontal tunnel, guess what happened? It started to fill with water. It's just the bane of this whole experience. Although the pumps were unable to keep water out of the flooded side shaft, boring samples were taken. And at 153 feet, they struck pay dirt. One of the samples brought a tiny piece of sheepskin parchment to the surface. The parchment, and it was analyzed by, like, it was like a prized possession. They weren't going to allow what happened before where someone took what was found and ran off. I think of when you see movies where they have a suitcase guy with a handcuffs. Yes, yes. A group of people. It was like that. And they went to Halifax and they had an expert look at it. Do you want to know something interesting? I was on a plane once and there was a guy on the plane with a suitcase with a, with a handcuff. Wow. Yes. But it wasn't like oh. a cheap like bondage in the bedroom silver handcuff. It was like a black graphite handcuff thing. Was he by himself? Yeah. I'm not wow. kidding. And I thought it's got to be like jewelry or something. Like some big Harry Winston necklace for Nicole I'd Kidman. I'm so scared that, that whoever wants that's just going to kill me. Well, he's in a crowded plane. Off. Yeah, I know. Anyway, it was it was so, it was just wild. And we were both, uh, the person I was traveling with, we were both like, what is that? I actually was going to ask him. Yeah, you should. Because I'm that way. I just go up and say, hey, what's that? And then he would have shot you with his Luger. I'm sure he would have just been, I can't tell you, but hey, have a good day. Maybe it was the Oak Island treasure. 
maybe it's that fucking rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, that thing is heavy. Apparently, it weighed like 170 pounds. Oh, like me in the 80s. Oh, that's, did you have uh, uh, moon boots? No, I wanted to get them recently, but they're really expensive. Like winter moon boots? Moon boots are back, but they're like $300. Yeah. They're so cool. The lining would come off. You'd run in the snow, and then your boot would stay in the snow, and you're, you'd just be running around in your liner. Oh, I didn't realize they had that. Mm-hmm. I hated them. All right, so they find this. The poor listener. I get to this great moment of they actually find something, and then you, you take me down a path of oblivion. I told you about the guy with the briefcase. I don't even know if it's true. It's true. Because you had a, a, a sneer on your face, as you were saying. You had a, a, an evil plan to sidetrack. I have a sneer on my face when I'm asleep. That's just who I am. <laughs> so the parchment uh, that they discovered had two letters. And there's some disagreement as to what letters they were. But it was either V-I, U-I, or W-I. I was one of them. Uh, and it was written in India ink, which would have needed like a quill. To, to write with. Yeah, of course. Many other samples brought up pieces of metal and what appeared to be cement, leading them to believe that the treasure may have been encased in a cement chamber. Remember, we're talking at 153 feet deep now. But in the 1700s, this was originally put down there. We don't know when it was. It may have been even earlier than that. So it wasn't cement, it was mortar. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Because cement is different. It's a different chemical composition. It's Oh my God. What? You worked two years on a, on a construction site, and now you're a know-it-all. You did, doing interlock. Yes, I did. And I, I didn't know that. So they devised a plan to sink a 200-foot tunnel next to the pit and come at the chamber from underneath. So a strategy that had been used before, pumping water as they went. The first pit, which was 40 feet away, collapsed when water began gushing in at only 80 feet. Oh. They tried again, but further away from 80 feet, but it too failed when water seeped in when they reached 160 feet. Another interesting thing they did was to run a test by filling one of their shafts with colored water to see where it ran off to. While nothing came out of Smith's Cove, it did come out three widely separated places on the south shore. This meant that while Smith's Cove had successfully been blocked, there were many more flood tunnels then they realized. Oh, no. It wasn't just Smith's Island. Like, it, this thing is intricately booby-trapped. Intricately. It's so... Massive. Like Indiana Jones. It is so Indiana Jones. And that's why that show is so stupid. I'm sorry. There's people, I'm sure, who like that show. And I, I God love you. If that's your thing, and I don't mean ill will towards you or even the people, they're making a, a buck. But the story is so, so cool like the real the the real oak island story is fascinating this is i had no idea i had no idea whatsoever it was this cool Mm -hmm. i thought it was just a treasure rumor and people were obsessed with it that's all i thought Mm -hmm. this is not this is goes beyond rumor right so completely shattered when they discover this because now they realize this thing is massive i'm completely shattered and i wasn't even involved So they continued to try digging directly in the shaft, but to no avail and eventually had to quit. One other interesting thing they discovered was a huge stone triangle. The mysterious stone triangle was discovered by a Captain Welling while exploring the south shore of Oak Island in 1897, near that beach, that uh, Smith's Cove. In the grass, just above the high water mark, a triangle of beach stones formed an equilateral triangle pointing true north on the baseline four feet from the west and six from the east ran a medial line it connected to the apex if extended this line ran directly through the money pit some 210 feet away curved line of rocks at the base made the mysterious triangle resemble a large sextant the true purpose of the stone triangle is not fully understood to this day but again weird is it still there? It's still there. And and again, I can show you pictures of uh, that as well. Thank God it's still there. Yeah. It didn't end up in some bookstore in Halifax. Well, this book did that I, Oak Island Gold. Very good book, by the way. Somebody out there has to open a microbrewery called Oak Island Gold. They got to. Look at you. Now you're an entrepreneur. They make a great IPA called Oak Island Gold. I would, yeah. I, I bet it exists. I'm sure it does. 
Well, Riley, that is it for the first of a two-part series. Wow. Yeah, isn't it though? And even for myself going through this, there's so many moments where you're like, oh my God, you're going to find out more. Like, oh, what are they going to pick it? And then there's, they're thwarted. They're thwarted. They're well, thwarted. Well, what I'm fascinated by more, even maybe not more, but equally I'm fascinated by is who fucking put it there. And like, were pirates known to be incredibly inventive engineers? This is a real installation. Like, this is like building a fort. Like, this has been mm-hmm. very carefully designed, engineered, and executed. Mm-hmm. And this was a, done according to what we believe in the 1700s, right? So, or earlier. Or or maybe much, 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 much earlier. Oh, that's a teaser. It is. We'll get into that exact thing. I'm going to spend a considerable amount of time in part two sort of finishing up some of the explorations that have occurred over the last hundred years. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to dive right into who is behind it. And the best part is it's not just pure speculation. There is evidence of, and, and there's competing arguments, and, and some of them have more evidence than others, which makes us all the more tantalizing. Good. And one of the theories is maybe one of my all-time favorite things with a very close tie back to Indiana Jones. It's an incredible story, and we'll get into that in part two of The Mystery of Oak Island. I'm so excited. I can't wait to hear this. This is one of your best stories. I fucking love this story. I can't wait to hear the rest. Well, you'll get it all next week, everybody. So tune in then. We won't keep you much longer here. I will say this, that if you like what you're listening to, if you enjoy our show, we don't ask for much. Right, Riley? Absolutely not. All we ask is that you like and subscribe. Uh, There's currently, uh, in this particular climate that we're living in right now, podcasts are booming and it's become very competitive. And it's very important for us that you just subscribe and like. That's all we ask because we're competing with a lot of people out there and we're doing well, but we want to keep doing well. And yeah, it's just, that's all we ask. And uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, good listener, but only a certain number of podcasters are allowed to survive. And I don't mean the show. I mean, our lives are in the balance. If we don't uh, rank in the top one third of our uh, subject material, they're coming for us. Mm-hmm. They're coming for the us. men in black. So share the word of the weird with your friends, family, co-workers, your aunt Tilda, who only comes by at Thanksgiving and screams at you because you wear your pants too tight. Tell her. And maybe she'll learn to soften up a little bit. All right, folks. uh, Join us again next week for part two of this wonderful tale of Oak Island. Thanks for listening. Bye now. Good night, everybody. I am smart. I am smart. I don't care what everyone at work says. I am smart. I am smart. I am smart. smart.